This is the Outpace Coaching Podcast presented by Coach Anthony and Coach Peter. Together, we strive to help you outpace the competition. In this podcast, we dive into everything endurance sports related and give you our perspective on what will make you faster. Hello, everybody. This is Coach Anthony and Coach Peter, and we are here for the October podcast with snow on the ground yeah it's uh, almost halloween halloween and there's still six inches of snow <laughs> well it's funny because it's the classic minnesota unpredictable fall yeah because it was 82 degrees two fridays ago and then some of us traveled down to the grand canyon which yes. was great the weather was amazing there but then we got back and it was in the 20s and then the next day, I think we got seven inches of snow. Yeah. Yeah. Man. And now, it's by ne- this time next week, it's supposed to be 60 degrees. Fantastic. And so, yeah, just, it's going to be, everything's going to turn into a wet, oh. leafy nightmare yeah. on the ground. Yeah. Speaking of the rim to rim, that's definitely one of the updates for this this month. How, how did that go? And, and uh, you went down with a bunch of other outpace athletes? Yeah. I mean, so there was, oh, let's see. I mean, there's definitely a lot of just like Minnesotans yeah. I think that went down. I feel like when we were training, you know, around Highland and Afton, like half the people we ran into said they were going down there. Um, but from outpace, I think there was 10 of us or so. Um, and a group of us were actually, no, there was more than that because there was, there's probably closer to 15 or 16. Um, because a group of us were doing the full distance, which is the rim to rim to rim, and I'll get into that after this. And then a group were, do- were doing what's called the rim to river, um, which is kind of the most common route I think that people take because it's quite a bit shorter and you can do it all from the same, um, same location. location. Um, so the group that did the rim to rim to rim, um, there was nine of us total. Um, and basically what it is, is you start at the south portion of the Grand Canyon called the South Rim. Um, we chose to start at 11.30 p.m. Friday night. Um, <laughs> so that was uh, interesting. Got about an hour and a half of sleep. Oh, <laughs> um, and a lot of times when you park at the Angel parking lot, you'll take the shuttle over to start with on what's called the South Khabib. But obviously there wasn't a shuttle running at 11.30 p.m. So we actually ran to the South Khabib on basically like a flat paved trail. Um, Ironically enough, it was called the Greenway. So we were all laughing about how we flew down to Arizona to run on the Greenway. Um, (laughs) But so that, then we added about four and a half miles to get there. And then you descend down the South Khabib, which is pretty crazy in the dark. Cause you're just, you know, you know, the drop off surrounding you, but all you can see is just kind of your footfalls in yeah, front of you yeah. on your, your headlamp. So kind of descended that you, you get down to the river, you can hear the river, but again, you can't really see it. Um, and then you run along the river going North for a really long time. Um, and then by the time we hit the North rim, which is when you get to the far side and it starts going back up again, we were about seven and a half hours in. And then the sun came up at that point, which was, for me, was probably the most surreal part, just because you can actually see where you are, you know, and the walls surrounding you and everything. Um, And then you climb up the North Rim, you get to the top. Uh, We had some mental breakdowns because, and I say we, I mean me, (laughs) because we thought we were at the top and it was already, the mileage was much further than we expected because we had heard a lot of different mileage. Um, but we were at 
24 already. So getting close to half of 50. And we found out that this wasn't the top, actually. There was two more miles, and they're the steepest miles yet. Oh, jeez. So when we finally did hit the top, we were actually over, I think we were close to 27. Okay. Um, and so that was kind of hard. And then on top of that, you have to turn around, and because it's the Grand Canyon, it's so open, you can see where you have to go. And it's very demoralizing, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so yeah, there, there was a lot of ups and downs, but that was really, I mean, it was obviously very fun. It was, uh, you know, once in a lifetime situation. I mean, anytime you deal with those ultra distances, you're going to go through severe ups and downs, both emotionally and physically. Um, but we finished. Uh, I know there was a second group that they're seriously troopers because I think they finished in like 25 hours. Um, our group finished in around 17. Um, and then there was actually a third group that Janice was in. They chose to start at like 4 a.m., which I'm impressed that they were able to do that because they didn't finish until Sunday morning at like 5 a.m. Um, but I mean, any way you spin it, you're going to be running through the dark. Yeah. Yeah. So... So that was good. Um, and then we had another group that went down and, and they did what's called the Rim to River, which is basically you descend the the South Khabib Trail, you get to the river, and then you go back up the other side. So I think that's like maybe 14 miles. Yeah, it worked out to be total because they had to like walk, you know, it was like 22. Oh, it was? 22 miles. Oh, it was? Yeah, it was like 22 miles. Okay, I had yeah. no idea. I thought... But well, they also, I think they... I believe they went to Phantom Ranch too, so they had oh, they did. in about a mile and a half hike back. So it was it, it added up to right around. Yeah, that does add still a lot extra, a, a long, a big distance. Yeah. Well, and it was funny too, like because because we had mentioned this, especially for us doing the long distances, like in the buildup of this, I don't think there was a group consensus on what the distance was. Oh yeah. Because how many times it's like, well, actually it's forty one, but then you add two and a half, so it's forty four. You know, and then. No one, you know, I think everyone kind of had their own idea of what the distance was. And then we knew we had to add the extra because of the shuttle. But we, I mean, my watch said 57, which granted, there's a couple times where we were standing still and it said I was going at a seven pace. Oh. So I don't think my watch is the most reliable here. Um, but I think most people arrived at like 53 to 54. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing when you're in that state what those extra three miles feel like. Oh. <laughs> it's like... Especially if it's going uphill, I imagine. Like, I mean... Well, yeah. It's I mean, not walking flat on the road, you know, it's, it's straight uphill. You're barely moving. If you, you know, it's like, oh, I'm, if you're doing a 22-minute mile, you're cooking. You know, especially because you're at like a 10, 11, 12% grade the whole time. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it was just, and it was cool too. I mean, like there was one point we were walking up and all of a sudden we looked up 10 feet above us and there's just this huge ram just kind of like staring down at us, uh, which was really surreal. And yeah. then we kind of sat there and watched it, you know, and it, it, it kind of makes you laugh because that thing's probably staring at us. It's like, you guys are pathetic on these hills, you know, because <laughs> it's just sprinted down the hill uh, in like 15 seconds, oh, you know, <laughs> it's like we are clearly not oh, equipped yeah. to be in these environments compared to uh, yeah, yeah. some of the animals that you see there. But yeah, no, it was good. I mean, check it off the bucket list. I don't ever have to do that again, but I'm definitely, I'm glad we did it. Yeah. And I think everyone, you know, there's some fun, like Kyle made a video of it and stuff. So I think it was a, it was a good alternative to what most of us saw as kind of a lost season with COVID. Yeah. And I think it was 
a really good alternative to be able to go and still do something and feel like we had an A race, even if it wasn't truly a race. So, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's definitely an epic adventure for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, it was something else. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, I guess I know you know compare in comparison to the rim to rim, we're gonna do a couple five Ks coming up. <laughs> Oh, we did a 5K. <laughs> Completely flat 5Ks yeah, on, on the, the track. track. You know, like from one extreme to the next. Might as well be a different sport. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we had one. We're going to do one this weekend. Just more of an inner squad kind of race. It was supposed to be last weekend, but the uh, snow Minnesota weather got in the way. Snow and cold. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then with the snow, you know, hopefully ski season starts soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. I Just going back to those 5Ks too, it's like, it is pretty interesting even though you you know you consider yourself an endurance athlete and it's a general title if you will it's pretty incredible when you make a change like oh i'm going to do an ultra how all of a sudden those 5k's just seem to completely fall off right like uh. Like I'm gonna do it on Saturday, and I'm genuinely nervous that I'll have any, like any ability to have, to produce any speed. But two, I, we'll see. Yeah, two different body types, energy system. I mean, oh, it's insane. It's yeah, for sure. And you can see that based on um, just the type of training, of course, that's required. You yeah. Know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you you don't even feel like you're running a lot of times yeah. in those ultras. It's like you're a glorified hiker. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very cool. Now for your monthly minute where we offer you a training and racing tip. This month's topic is all about reflection on 2020. COVID forced all of us to evaluate why we train and compete since we had very limited competitions. I challenge each of you to establish your top three reasons why you live the lifestyle of an endurance athlete and reflect on those the next few months. What are the biggest takeaways from 2020 that can make you a stronger and fitter athlete in future seasons? Is it mental toughness, perseverance, dedication, all those things helped us all get through 2020. Once we get back to racing, make sure to reflect on how fortunate we are to be towing the starting line again. That concludes your monthly minute. Now for the main topic of this month's podcast, where we will be answering questions that you, the listener, have submitted. All right, so the main topic of this month's podcast, um, as, as Anthony mentioned earlier, we actually decided to do something a little bit different. Um, instead of just choosing a topic, we actually uh, put it out there for questions from individual athletes, um, and we got quite a few, so what we're going to do is we're actually going to go through each one and just give our answer to them um, and just kind of have a conversation around each uh, individual topic based off of the athlete questions. So. Uh, why don't we get started here? So the first question is from Stephen Wirt. Uh, it says, who's your favorite athlete? Uh, he added on there, and you can't pick a family member or a girlfriend. <laughs> um, we're just going to pick professional athletes. Uh, so I don't know if, Anthony, you want to go first? Yeah, um, I would say probably my, you know, if we're sticking to more endurance sports, would probably be Lionel Sanders, yeah. a Canadian triathlete. Um, just his... his uh, social media presence and he's just, got a good perspective on oh yeah this. and he's funny yeah. and you know he just works hard and it's always entertaining he's yeah. definitely got a sense of humor yeah that's i think good. he i mean and he's very he, it's very enjoyable to watch him because he's very transparent right like he he was an addict um and and really kind of struggled a lot and then kind of laid that out on the table and that's really the reason he says he got into an endurance sports yeah. you know and like 
he's he's gotten really close. Like that one year at Kona, he almost won. He got run down, and he's always like very. He'll like cry in front of the camera and post it to people. And I think you know a lot of people like to put their their finest hours on social media. So one thing I like about him is that he's he's willing to post it all and be vulnerable and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. And then the fact that he's just so transparent with his numbers and his data. You know, some professionals and even amateurs are so secretive of like yeah. what they're doing and what the numbers they're doing. And Lionel's like, that guy did this for four minutes. Yeah, and you can't fake it anyway, yeah, right? Like, yeah. So it's it's uh, for fans of the sport, like someone like that makes more fans and yeah. it makes it more entertaining so that people are interested in following the pro field. Yeah. Because um, that's what that's what makes the sport is you have to have fans yeah. of it. Yeah. You know, and then he's definitely one that, that has a lot of fans for And sure. he just did uh, that, now he's in the velodrome, or, yeah. you know, the Canadian record. Yeah. And what did he do? He did, like, 32 miles in 60 minutes, average, like, 32 miles an hour or yeah, something like, like 51, that. Yeah, it was, like, 51 kilometers. Yeah, like, 260 something. laps or something. It was a little over 200 laps, I think. Yeah, okay, yeah. maybe that's what it was, yeah. 206, I think. But, yeah, I mean, that's, to. it's one thing to be able to focus like it just on a white line and go like straight forward but yeah. like to be zipping around on that track like yeah. to stay mentally engaged i do like, not get dizzy i would totally <laughs> I, yeah and like to not crash like yeah. i would like you're so tired and you're having to like i don't know it's it's uh you can't zone out for a minute no you gotta like really focus on yeah. where you're at yeah and stay in arrow yeah you know you can't get i mean we're getting a lot off topic but That's like right. <laughs> like the um like no, the, yeah, you cannot go up for a second because no, it's yeah. like that's probably like five, you know, five watts or whatever yeah. it is. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, and then then uh, who was your what was your response for that? I mean, Lionel's up there too. I I really like him. Um, I I've been kind of on a Courtney DeWalter video binge lately, just because you know I did the ultra, so that was kind of the mindset I was in. Um, so I put her down just because. Well, first of all, she's an absolute beast. I mean, it's just, she's, and she's from Minnesota. Oh, yeah. um, I think she's similar to Lionel and she has a very, she's very humble. She's just tells it kind of like it is. And she's vulnerable with what she puts out into the world. Um, but she's incredibly skilled without having to be, you know, arrogant or secretive about everything. Yeah. Um, you know, she, she'll win these 200 mile races by like nine hours. Oh, Oh, you know, even like the Moab 240, she won by nine hours. Overall, even, too. Yeah, but right? even the man. Yeah. yeah. And and then she goes back and stands at the finish line for the next 10 hours while all the, you know, age group athletes come in and Jeez. everything. So it's just, I think she's a refreshing athlete on uh, top of being just an incredible runner, you know, like top of her field. So. 200 miles, I 240. 240. Oh, yeah. I mean, like that Mo, I was watching the video on the, the Moab 240, and I mean, I can't even, yeah. I don't, I can't even start to fathom, you know, the, the distance that is because we were joking about it when we did the 50 miler. And it's only 200 miles. Yeah, that's what we said. Like, well, Kyle kept saying, like, just remember, man, Goggins, you know, David Goggins, he's like, Goggins did 240. He said that like eight <laughs> times. <laughs> Put it in perspective. Oh, brutal. Yeah, that's, oh. that's it. Good reminder, though, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, next question. Uh, this one was uh, from Harrison Ginlin, um, and it was about motivation. What do you love about endurance sports, and why do you do them? A 5 a.m. trainer session isn't at the top of everyone's wish list, but we all do it for different reasons. Curious on your personal motivations. So go ahead. Yeah. You want to go first on this Yeah, one? Sure. sure. Yeah, that's fine. Um, 
Yeah, it's a great question, right? I think a lot of times the, you know, throughout a, a given training cycle, a given year, there's huge highs and lows just like during a race. Um, you know, I, I think for me personally, I think endurance sports is a way of challenging ourselves in a way that we're no longer required to do in our day-to-day lives, right? Like a lot of us sit behind a computer or sit inside all day and, and you know, we have food sitting in our kitchen and we're not really obligated to do the things that we did were hundreds and thousands of years ago. Um, so I think endurance sports is a way to go and challenge yourself and really take yourself to that limit. Um, and kind of get out of the the modern day comforts of everyday life. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I personally, I think beyond that is it's it's a really fun and competitive way to stay in shape, really good shape. Now, sometimes I question on the long distance stuff: is this truly healthy? <laughs> but you know, it, there, there's much worse uh, alternatives. Um, and then I think the most important thing for me is is kind of the community it builds, right? Like the people could not be more awesome. You know, you can go and enjoy yourself and work out with other people at these races, you know, do bike rides with other individuals that are like-minded. So I think that combines to, you know, everything that plays into it for me personally is really why I, I love it. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. For me, um, I think, you know, a lot of very similar reasons, you know, it's, it comes down to just the lifestyle it cultivates, you know, you have to, you know, the health and fitness benefits that you get from, you know, whether it's the nutritional side of things or the training or whatever that, you know, having to get to bed early and get plenty of sleep so you can recover and all those things that it just forces you to, to, to be healthy. You maybe wouldn't do otherwise. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and, and with that, just the discipline and dedicated dedication required to achieve, you know, big time goals, whether mm-hmm. it's the Grand Canyon or an Ironman or a 5k or whatever you're training for. Um, you know, it definitely takes, it takes you to do that. And it's outside of what the norm would be. You know, I think that's the biggest thing is just being, you know, I don't want to be just that person that skates through life. I want to be outside the norm and kind of push myself. Well, and I think it, it too, it's an incredible feeling to do those big races that Ironman, the Grand Canyon. And and it's funny because it's not even about the Ironman, right? Like the Ironman is great and you need to have a way to like measure your success and, and kind of end the season and, and set up the cycles. But 99% of it is the, you know, what Harrison said, the 5am trainer ride, the pool, all that stuff. Right. So it is, it truly is like the cycle and then having something to look back on and feel like you accomplished something that's, that's much more difficult than just your day to day life. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, just the community, like you alluded to, you know, I feel like the endurance world, it's just like a wonderful group of people to hang out with, like mm-hmm. really, um, you know, a lot of times positive people. Yeah. Uh, so the community that it builds is, is amazing. And, and, you know, the people that we work with team outpace and then outside of that, of course, too. Yep. Um, the competition, you know, coming off of, you know, whenever you're in you know high school, college, like you always have, you know, you were in rugby, you know, I ran and played basketball, you know, this gives you an outlet to be competitive for, as long as you want to be yeah that too I mean I think it's like you talk about the community and all that stuff but at the end of the day I mean you're all you're also talking about competitive people right so on top of all those other benefits I think you now can go put yourself in a position no matter how old you are where you're competing with others right and it's like if you grew up playing team sports and you're in your 30s and 40s 
you might not be playing team sports anymore, yeah. right? But like you can always do some form of endurance sports and try and race other people in your age group, no matter how old you are. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's why it's so important to to have programs like cross country and 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 individual sports in high school mm-hmm. and middle school and stuff, just because it's something that if you start doing those sports young, you, you can continue that far into your life you know whereas, yeah i wish i had for sure whereas like you're not gonna always have a team to play basketball with or yeah. play football with like you know but you can always go out and run and if you find a passion for that early in life like mm-hmm. you can carry it into later in life too um and it's you know of course coming back to that competition side of things like it's you against you so it you know at the end of the day it's you know it's how hard you want to push yourself and kind of seeing that next limit that you can get to yeah um and that's always something that motivates me is like you know can i go a little bit harder can i go a little bit faster can i do this a little bit better um and that comes to the comes back to like that individual journey um where what i think is really cool and is very motivational is that everybody's journey is different um you know getting to that iron man start line like some people endure terrible hardships, but everyone manages to get there. Everyone manages to get to the finish line, and that's super inspiring just yeah. to think about, like... Yeah, even watching, like, those Iron Man replays. Yeah. And they show yeah. all the people. Someone is, like, an amputee or someone had cancer, all that stuff. Like, I think that talks about, like, the community of it and seeing everyone's story and how they got to the line, whether they're a pro or, like, a cutoff time athlete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the reality is that, you know, some days motivation, no matter who you are, the top of the best in the world to those who are just starting like motivation is oh, yeah. everybody goes through lulls of motivation. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I always just remind people, it's like, just think about your goals. Think about, you know, it's easy to say, but you know, just remind yourself of why, you know, wait, maybe what the outcome goal might be, mm-hmm. um, and why you do it day in and day out, you know, whether it's to be a great um, you know, great example for your kids or whatever that might be. Yeah. Um, that, that definitely helps when sometimes that motivation is waning. So. No, agreed. No, that's good. Good question. Um, so the next one is from, uh, Jamie McCarthy. Uh, it's a good question too. Probably won't have as long of an answer, but, uh, what is on the bucket list of endurance events for either of you? Go yeah. Ahead. Um, I would say, uh, challenge Roth is definitely one. Um, it's based in, Germany. Germany, right. Yep, and it's just one of those iconic races. Yeah, they get like 100,000 people that come out to them. Yeah, I mean, it's like a festival, like the entire week, I yeah. think, leading into it, like a lot of beer, a lot of, yeah. <laughs> a lot of celebrating. Um, after the race. Yeah, after the race, yeah. Um, but, like, if you've ever seen the, the photos of, like, Challenge Roth, like, yeah. I mean, it's it's extreme, like, the, the people that line the course, like, it's, I think, a multiple loop course on the bike. And I think on the run too. So there's just a ton of spectator support. And the fit, the run finish oh, is like, yeah. there's like state or there's like, like bleacher set up. Yeah. It's like a stadium. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so that one would definitely be on, the, be on the bucket list. And then some race in New Zealand, Australia, that type, that, that area of the, the world. Yeah. That would uh, whether be awesome. Ironman or 70.3 or something. Yep. No, it's, I agree with both of those. Um, some of mine were Ironman Austria. Yeah. That's always one I've seen the footage of that one and it's like unbelievable. Oh, yeah. you, you, you almost, it's hard to believe that that's at, like the bike course and everything through the mountains. Um, Patagonia Man. I don't know if you've seen those. I think I have. Is that more of an adventure race? No, it it is still a triathlon, um, but it's one of those ones where, so it's, it's way all the way at the bottom of South America, basically. Oh. 
Um, it's one of those ones where they always show the pictures of it's like absolutely freezing cold water and they actually take the racers out on a ship. You literally get on this like big ship and you jump off the ship and it's still dark out when you jump off the ship. Um, so it's still a triathlon, but I think it's considered much more of like a off-road type, you know, okay. just because of where it is. And then you bike through these crazy mountains and the, and the run is on the trails and everything. Oh, so geez. I think that would be like a high level, like, oh, I have $10,000 to spare bucket list. <laughs> what is the distance on it? Like, it's, it's an Ironman. Oh, it's Ironman. Yeah, okay, it is. Okay. Yep. Um, and then, you know, I mean, this is, I put it on here. It's pretty obvious. I mean, Kona, right? Like who wouldn't want to do that if they're doing Ironman? So that's, that's definitely on my list. Um, and then a couple of other just different ones that are fun. I put a hundred miler on here. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I, I struggle with ultras sometimes because I've had the lowest of lows and, and some highs there, but I do think in my lifetime, I plan on doing a hundred miler. I just don't know when. Um, and then this year, I really want to do one of those like 12 hour ski challenges, see how long I can ski for or something or how many miles I can do yeah. in 12 hours. Yeah. That would be epic. Yeah. yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. And then next question, um, from Janice Stanford, uh, with a successful completion of rim to rim or rim to rim to rim for team outpace, would you consider another type of epic adventure? I feel like the triathlon multi-sport is such a great train ground to do epic stuff like a two-night mountain bike trek on the Baja, is it Baja? Baja Divide. Baja, Baja, Baja Divide. <laughs> With races canceled and postponed, have you looked into other ways to keep us crazies invested in pushing ourselves? What would you two choose to do if there was no races to be in 2021? Um, yeah, go, go ahead. I mean, it's, I guess <laughs> we could just piggyback off that last one. Um, I think... The I so I put this I answer this in two ways is for me at least short term right like the last part of her question was if everything was canceled again in twenty twenty one you know I talked about that twelve hour skiing one um, if it truly is everything's canceled maybe like a, a self supported like hundred k this time you know just going up the list which I think is sixty three miles sure. um, maybe like I've always been interested in doing like a um, bike to Milwaukee or like up to Duluth, you know, like a, a 300 mile bike ride or something and having someone drive with and, and as self-supported or something like that. Long term, um, the one I put on here is adventure racing. I mean, I don't necessarily know if I have any interest in adventure racing, but there is that documentary on... Hey, what is that one again? I watched that. Yeah. The, the World's Toughest Race. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In Fuji? Fuji. Fiji. Fiji. Yeah. Fiji, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's, um, it's, it's on Amazon Prime, but they basically film this yearly adventure race. And I, that stuff is crazy. I mean, they literally do everything. They, they rock climb. They have to, like, wade through freezing cold water. Um, so I don't know. I mean, if I ever did that, it would be not in this <laughs> decade. I can tell you that, but who knows? Maybe that's something that's thinking outside of the box. Yeah. 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 And I would say for, um, you know, this year I kind of became race director. Yeah. Think, yeah, you are. And, uh, and I definitely, that's definitely not something I necessarily enjoy. A ton, on your resume. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, again, it was, it was awesome to do just to give people some, some, some way to race and whatnot. But yeah. I would say, you know, if, if nothing were to happen next year, um, you know, hopefully we don't have to plan for that and we can race, but you know, in the case nothing did, you know, potentially an additional team camp or something where we do like a camping adventure and do some training or, or something, 
Um, but again, I it's hard to it's hard to plan. In, in the... Yeah, the real answer to the question, Janice, is that that's not going to be the case. Yeah, <laughs> we're all going to have our races in twenty twenty. Yeah, exactly. Don't even say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so the next one is from Karen Herrick. So th- this is a two parter. So we'll do the first one first. Um, so a triathlon can be an expensive sport. If you had to narrow it down to one piece of extra training or racing equipment that truly impacts your performance most, slash the biggest bang for your buck. What would it be? And then she put in parentheses, i.e. aero helmet, race wheels, bike trainer, Garmin, having a coach, winky face, etc. Um, and then she said, what piece of equipment is probably overrated as part of that? So I don't know if you want to take the first part of that question and what you think is the most bang for your buck. Yeah, I would, you know, just from that list, like, you know, I would have to say, you know, definitely having a coach. Um, somebody that's experienced, somebody that's been doing the sport, you know, has some, has some knowledge when it comes to exercise physiology, just, just so that you can have the best experience possible. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, um, I mean, I, myself included, I made so many be- beginner mistakes initially. And as somebody coming into the sport, if they can not commit those same mistakes and, and, you know, you're just going to be that much further ahead and have that much better of an experience and be more successful, yeah, having um, those insights that you just yeah. can't have when you start. Yeah. I know I didn't. Yeah, like, yeah. You know. So I would have to say that's probably, you know, no matter what type of aero equipment, you know, best race wheels, if you have a power meter, if you can't, if you don't know how to work the power meter, you know, if you don't know how to apply the, the or metrics. Or quantify the data. Yeah, quantify. You know, um, you know n- no matter the, the aero benefit, like if you're not training properly, it yeah. won't matter. So it's... You know, I think just, just uh, you know, because it's the engine, it's not necessarily the equipment that yeah. makes a difference. So Yeah, so I guess my answer kind of builds off that one. I mean, I kind of had the same thing having a coach. I won't take the same answer. So I guess taking that out of the equation, my answer would be a power meter if you're just looking at equipment. I personally wish I'd gotten one right away. Um, you know, again, you need to know what you're looking at. But granted, let's just make that assumption I think having the power meter on the bike is really the number one way to take your bike into the next level. And I think if you don't have one, you kind of open yourself up for frustration because we all know that heart rate can be very variable and especially on the bike and pacing on the bike is, I mean, there's so many factors that play into it. It's really hard. So I would say, although it is expensive, if you're picking a bang for your buck as far as um, physical equipment, in my opinion, a power meter is that. And you know, for the second part of the equation of what piece of equipment is probably overrated. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say anything specific that is probably overrated, but but one thing I think some maybe newer athletes fall into a little bit too much, and you touched on this earlier, is putting too much of a focus on buying the $10,000 bike. You know, maybe don't drop all your money into the most expensive equipment you can find. Maybe put your focus to start on the engine first, right? I mean, granted, of course, a nicer bike is going to make a big difference. But I can tell you that your time and money is better spent focusing on getting your endurance up than, you know, the extra little benefits that spending six grand more on a bike would be. So I think that there is a fine line between trying to buy speed and just truly focusing on making yourself faster. Yeah. If I had to pick something that's quote unquote overrated. Yeah. I would, um, yeah. When it comes to the equipment side, I think it's exactly the same. I think I agree fully. You know, one of the things that I always laugh at is, 
You know, there's so many different recovery modalities out there, things that you can buy that are pretty expensive, yeah. you know, and they can range from those boots, compression boots yeah, exactly. to, yeah. to vibrating, you know, massage balls, the Theraguns. The Theraguns. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things. I mean, electrostimulation. Um, but what I always kind of laugh at is when people purchase those items, but then they don't focus on eating a really good diet. Or they stay up rapid rebooting until 11 p.m. and then they get five hours of sleep. Yeah, or, <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, just focusing on the basics initially, you know, once you feel like you have a really good nutritional plan, you know, you're getting enough sleep, you know, you're consistently training and you're able to recover. And, and you know, th those are the things that, that make the biggest difference, not purchasing that next piece of equipment. Yeah, and it's, just to interrupt you, I mean, it's worth... It's worth posing Karen's second question because you really are answering her second question here. I mean, if you were to start as a rookie triathlete again, what would you have done differently or wish you could concentrate more on? And I think that's probably your biggest answer, right? Is getting those things right up front. Yeah. And yeah, the consistency side of things. Yeah. It's like, you know, even from when I ran high school, like the coaches that I always had that was probably the the biggest word they use is consistency, consistency, consistency. Like if you want to be successful at an endurance sport, you have to be consistent. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to day in and day out, put in those five, 5 a.m. trainer sessions, do those short, easy runs, you know, because you're building, you're continuing to build. And what that does too is it provides your body the, the continuous stimulus to build that resilience and that strength so that you don't get hurt or injured. Mm -hmm. You know, when you do sporadic training here and there, you know, you're much more likely to get hurt um, and you just won't progress as consistently over time. So I would say consistency, hands down, like if a rookie can just understand that day in and day out, they have to be religious and, and be consistent with their training. Yeah. That'll be, yeah, that's the key. I say looking back on mine, I mean, I think placing a bigger, a lot of this comes to about just having, and even if not a coach, at least some direction, right? Like. I think it's unrealistic to expect that everyone can just start and they're going to have a full-time coach, you know, but even if not a coach, like for me, it was like placing a bigger focus on actual running form, you know, like I just went out and started adding mileage and like, I just jumped in the pool and just tried to for, you know, teach myself with no lessons or anything like that. Right. And I just bought a bike and didn't get a fit or anything. And then just again, added mileage and like a lot of injuries accumulated very quickly for me which inevitably ended up setting me back way more than what I would have expected I could just add add volume right so I mean looking back on it right like I think your mindset is always more is better um, but I think if you actually place an emphasis on quality over quantity up front you, the amount of injuries and issues you can avoid is significant and that's definitely what I would change yeah. if I could go back yeah definitely um all right, so next question is from Miguel Ansimo. It is not common knowledge to most amateur athletes that stress accumulation from life must be treated the same as training stress. How do you handle the programs of athletes who seem to struggle with stress management, especially when it leads to a halt in their training progression? Um, so for, for these types of athletes um, and people just busy in general, like that have really demanding jobs, have families, you know, and, and athletes across the board, like communication is so crucial um, because if you're not communicating that to your coach, someone who's designing your plan, 
they have no idea, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, um, <clears throat> So, so for, you know, addressing this question specifically, like those who struggle with a lot of stress, whether it's work, family, personal related stress, it has similar impacts on your body, your body and your mind, um, as training stress. It's, it's almost the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, cortisol is cortisol, which is the stress hormone. Um, so if your body is secreting a lot of that because you're, you have a really big, huge work meeting and then you have to put a VO2 max session on top of it, like mm-hmm. It's just adding to it. And I always use the analogy, um, you know, if you had a cup and, you know, every time you had a workout, you add a little bit of water to it and you had, you, you had a, some McDonald's yeah. stress, yeah. add water to it, you know, and you have this, this cup and there's a small little hole out the bottom and it's a slow drip, you know, and that's basically your recovery. So if you're adding too much water to that cup yeah. before it's, you know, faster than it's dripping out the bottom, like something's going to happen, mm-hmm. whether it's you get sick or you get hurt or injured, you mental know, breakdown <laughs> yeah, or, you know, for those that are older, like a heart attack, yeah. you know, that's where the, the overall accumulation of cortisol and stress, you know, you see those people that are super fit mid fifties. And they have a heart attack. Yeah. It's because you think about all the additional stress and they just never And they don't fully sleep. Recover. They're not recovering. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you think about that cup analogy and it's like, you know, communicating to your coach how much water's coming in, how much is dripping out the bottom. Um, and just don't disregard the profound impact of what elevated cortisol levels for extended periods of time can have. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, yeah, I don't really have to, a different answer. Um, I think it's, I, I agree 100%, right? It's communication is key with anything here, including whether it's training related or life related. Um, and, you know, continuing at an elevated level of stress throughout your days and weeks and months you're going to see a downstream effect, not only in your personal life, but also in your athletic yeah. life, right? So it's not something to just grit your teeth and plow through. It's something that's going to have a negative impact on every aspect. Um, yeah. And it's an important thing to shine a light on. Yeah, so, um, you know, to, to bring it all together, like, you know, when you are talking with your coach, you know, don't sugarcoat, you know, what you're dealing with. You know, let the coach know exactly what your schedule's like, mm-hmm. how much stress you feel, What's realistic training wise? Don't don't be like, oh, I should maybe tell them that I have two hours to train, even though I realistically only have ninety minutes or an hour, because that's probably what he wants me to do. Yeah. You know, you just have to be upfront and, and really be, you know, communicate that to your coach yeah. right off the bat. So oh, agreed. Um, so the next one is from Ben Bassett. Um, <laughs> well, the first part I think is a joke, but did Peter eat all the leftover chips from the barbecue? I did, Ben. It was over a period of time, but I did. Uh, well, no, but on a serious note, uh, what do you guys eat on a typical day? So that's the first question. So I guess we'll just quickly go through that one and then we'll ask the second one. Um, I, I guess for me personally, so it really depends. Um, during the typical training period, I eat usually four meals a day. Um, and that can also depend on how much I'm training and training timing and everything. Um, but a lot of times I'll shoot for about three to 4,000 calories. You know, br- breakfast, I always have the same thing. Um, it's just very much like getting carbs. And then I have like fruit and granola with yogurt. And then really with, with lunch and dinner, that can just vary. But I think it's just the classic, you know, try and get a, a good protein in there, get plenty of carbs, vegetables, sides, fruits, um, you know, kind of sweet potatoes. And then I'll, I'll, I'll change it up sometimes. Um, you know, I put on here just because it's important to know and, and we're all human, right? Like there's guilty pleasures. And I think 
unless you've always eaten this way and this is just how you are, it's important to not completely limit yourself from any guilty pleasures, right? Like we work hard, we train hard, so it's okay to reward yourself. But I mean, just like anything else, it's in moderation, right? So it's okay to have like the potato chips, Ben, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> like the cookies, you know, we have chocolate almonds. I like to have those at the end of the day or even like a glass of wine and stuff. Um, but where, when I think it gets out of hand is when you overly take advantage of that and you're having it too often, right? You're having two to three beers a night and then more on the weekends, right? That's when the, the food side of it becomes a problem. So, yeah, you know, I, th- um, yeah, like you mentioned, it definitely varies based on the time of year, the training volume, um, you know, and, and those two things I would say for anybody that's looking to kind of refine their nutrition, take those two things into consideration, like periodize your nutrition like you would your training, you know, don't, there's no reason if you're taking two weeks off that you need to be having pasta for every meal or yeah. something, you know, it's like, um, but just to run through, like for breakfast, this can vary. I, I love breakfast. I'm a huge breakfast person, like always have been. Um, when I was young, I would just eat cereal cause I love cereal. Yeah, but cereal's crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so like guilty pleasure wise, like I would say, I mean, I can name like 10 cereals that I'd probably go. <laughs> Lucky Charms probably being at the top, you oh, know, yeah. but this is not what I do now. Um, but I would say for breakfast, you know, it's usually like oatmeal, um, you know, chia seeds, bananas, like some mixed berries and maple syrup and like almond milk, um, all mixed in. You know, if it's more pre-workout, just like peanut butter and toast and honey, um, you know, maybe a small bowl of mixed berries and banana or, you know, like some type of like corn checks, um, something that's super easy, a little more refined carbohydrate, easy to digest. uh, And that's that's again more pre-workout. Um, gluten-free pancakes. I mean, who doesn't love pancakes, you know? I know. And then eggs. Um, I usually do those, you know, maybe once or twice a week just because I have a little bit of a sensitivity to them, but I love eggs. If I could do them every single day, multiple times a day, I would. Yeah. Um, just because they're complete protein, you know, perfect. It's so easy to cook. Yeah. Delicious. And then lunch. Um, like you had mentioned, it kind of varies, again, based on whether or not I have like a second workout in the afternoon or if I already completed my one session for the day, like in that case, it can be a little bit more like veggie focused, maybe a salad, you know, maybe with some rice and beans mixed in. Um, otherwise some type of protein, you know, protein sources that I usually have are like some type of grass fed beef, chicken, salmon, and then a veggie, uh, common veggies for me are Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, and then some type of carb. Again, the carb, content based on whether or not I have the next session for the day. Yeah. I think, I mean, the the key thing regardless here is like, you don't just eat the same every week, every month, the the entire year, right? You know, like your eating should be going off of your training load, your, how you're feeling, you know, whether you're traveling sometimes, you know, sometimes you can't just eat whatever you want and stuff. So it, it really depends. And then dinner, similar to lunch. Um, you know, when it comes to the, the contents and then snacks, you know, I love granola, like I said, cereal, but granola feels like it's a little bit healthier. So yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I make homemade granola. I've started doing that. It's amazing. Um, usually, you know, carrots and hummus, you know, I like apples. Wow. Your snacks are way healthier than mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then 80% dark chocolate. <laughs> um, oh, that's but, good. uh, but yeah, so I was going to, there was something I was going to mention in regards to, um, Oh, like, you know, in regards to around the sessions too, you know, 
just making sure to replenish kind of what you're burning. So especially if you have multiple sessions in a day, like that's something I focus in on. Like if I'm going to have like a pre, you know, toast and peanut butter and honey, and then I do like a couple hours ski that's going to burn a thousand calories. Like yeah. my goal around and within the session is to try to replenish as much as possible. Yeah. Um, which again, changes all of this because then it adds in additional meals and stuff. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so that's, yeah, was there a second question? Yep, yeah. So then the second question is kind of pivots away from nutrition. Um, when things get tough in a race and you want to give up, how do you motivate yourself to keep pushing? Um, I mean, that's a great question, right? That's totally relevant to all of us and what we do. Um, you know, for me, it's a couple of things. I really, especially like maybe it's the end of the run on a long distance triathlon. I'm really going into the pain cave. I have a couple of things I like to do. You know, one thing is just focus on your breathing. I mean, I sometimes get in a rhythm of like counting my breaths and it really helps me to, A, it helps me to breathe the amount I should, right? And focus on that. But then second of all, it just gets you into a mental groove and kind of takes your mind off the suffering. Um, you know, trick your brain. I always say funny, like it's ridiculous the things I'll say. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm only half mile away from the five mile point and then I only have about a mile left till I get to the six and then I'm at point, you know, it's like you do these weird things to try and like trick yourself to thinking that there's less distance. And I mean, I personally, I think it makes a difference. Um, and then for me on the really, like during the 50 miler, I was kind of going through some deep low sections and I have a mantra that is just me. It's like, it, I guess it's a quote, but it's just something I say. And I always say this too shall pass. And when I'm really in like the deepest lows, I'll say that to myself over and over again. And I think it's just that extra kick that kind of gets me through that just tells me that it's like, this is just a part of life. It's a small little thing and it will end. Even though at the time you're hurting so bad, it feels like it's never gonna stop. It is going to stop, you know, and you'll come through better on the other side. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, those are all great. And I was gonna mention too, you know, trying to do math when you're hurting, like, <laughs> yeah, I, it's so sure. funny, like, you're always like, okay, I got like, I'm at 20, 20 miles and how much further I gotta go for a marathon? Yeah. You're trying to figure it out and it should be super simple math. It's but... almost not worth it, your brain's <laughs> like, I don't have energy for Oh this. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say the biggest things that I I try to do myself, you know, it's it's a work in progress, quite honestly, because it's, the mental side of the sport is so such big and it's something you can always improve on. Mm -hmm. Um, but also things that I encourage athletes to do is when you're in a triathlon or any type of endurance sport, like even just thinking about being in or focus on the present moment, you know, think about the things that you can control. So, you know, your nutrition, like how are your feet coming in contact with the ground? Like, what is your, you know, are you staying in control? What is your upper body doing? Like those types of things help you stay in the present moment. Um, rather than, you know, rather than the alternate, which Letting is your mind wander. Yeah. Consider that. like, Oh my gosh, how much further do I have to go? I have, I'm only halfway, you know? So, so again, that focus on the present moment helps you kind of get out of that kind of outcome oriented mindset. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, pre-race imagery, you know, I think, if there's one thing that you can implement that's super simple is just doing, you know, leading up to a race, even all year round, just spending five, 10 minutes, you know, every, you know, especially as you get close to the race, maybe every day, just imagine yourself, you know, from race start to, to yeah, the, like executing T2 yep. perfectly. Yeah. You know? not, like, not, yeah. Like the non glamorous things. There's so many other things to think about, right? Yeah. So, so going through it, you know, as if the race day went perfectly mm -hmm. and then going through it where there'll be obstacles. Cause realistically there's always going to be things that come up and making sure to uh, practice that 
in your mind yeah. prior to actually executing it on race day will help, you know, you just be mentally stronger in general. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we always, you know, there's so many quotes out there. It's like, you know, you know, brace the, the sufferer or whatever yeah. that might be. And Wait till the end of the podcast so I, you can hear yeah. it. <laughs> Quote yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, doing your best to embrace the discomfort, you know, like the one quote that there is, is like nothing worthwhile is easy. Yeah, that's um, why you're choosing to do it too. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, just remind yourself that the discomfort you are going through is just a reminder of like, you know, your self-improvement and you're progressing as an athlete and a human and, you know, and testing yourself and knowing that it's, it's not going to kill you. Yeah. Like, you know, 99% of the time it's not going to kill you. So Pain just, is temporary. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a classic. A D, no, pain is temporary. A DNF is forever. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's, the, that's the best one. Um, so yeah, those are the biggest things. Is just focus on the present moment. Do some pre-race imagery, and then just try to do your best to embrace that discomfort, um, and know that you're pushing yourself and and yeah, on doing it. Agreed. Um, all right, last, last one I think. Last question here from Edwin Vanderhoek. Um, What's your favorite all-time sport event? We'll yeah, start so with they, that one. You, there's like four short questions, so we'll just pop through each one of these. So uh, my favorite all-time sports moment, um, you know, there's so many sporting moments, I guess. But as a coach, I would say probably um, Ironman Whistler last year, uh, just because it was kind of our first out of out of the country. Ironman destination mm-hmm. race with the team. Um, three people qualified for Kona. So it was just really fun to be a part of the entire experience being there with the team, but also just seeing the athletes successful, be successful and knowing all the hard work that was put in. Um, so I think hands down as of right now, like that's, you know, just, that's my, probably my favorite sports moment as a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, as a fan, I put a couple, um, I would say probably the breaking two, like just yeah, going after cool. the two two hour record, like watching the whole documentary, and it's just such a cool yeah. idea and and just mind boggling the the speeds that they. Well, and go. watching the first documentary and how he came like twenty five seconds oh, short, yeah, yeah. and then watching the second yeah. try, that was sweet. Yeah, yeah, and just the science and everything yeah. that goes into it, and you know, more recently, I would say that. Second to last stage in the Tour de France this past year. The Gachar. <laughs> yeah, just that was so you know, cool. Coming from behind the the you know for those that didn't watch it, the person that was in the lead pretty much had it locked in. Like all he had to do was go out and do a time trial because it was a time trial, uphill time trial, second to last day, and the guy in second place like the chances of him winning were like slim to none. Everyone was like, Oh, he's not going to win. Like they've, the guy winning thus far is going to, is going to be the one wearing yellow in, in Paris. And he just comes from nowhere and, and just, just demolishes the whole freakish numbers. I mean, I I can't even put it in. I can't, he he put the whole, yeah, the rest of the, the the rest of the riders, you know, (laughs) it was, it was definitely crazy. And then the announcers definitely said so too. And, um, so that would probably be, uh, when it comes to a fan, whether that's those two, you know, one of those two. Yeah, I did. I did mine a little bit differently. I interpret this just as general sports, so I did non endurance. Um, but personal, I mean, a big one for me was my senior year. We won state for rugby. That was just really cool to be a part of. And the year before, we lost by one point with no time left on the clock. So it was a 
you know, kind of a vendetta to come back and do it. And then as a fan, um, I mean, the ones you mentioned too, there's plenty I could pick with endurance, but just as a true sports fan, um, I'm a big Packers fan in the year they won the Super Bowl. And I happened to go to the quarterfinal game in Philadelphia that year, which is a terrible place to be an opposing fan. Like those fans are ruthless. Yeah, so yeah, it felt very good when they, they went on to win it that year. So go pack go, right? Yeah. <laughs> We gotta remember where we're in Minnesota. I know, yeah. <laughs> we're in Minnesota, yeah. <laughs> um, Number two. Yeah, so post COVID, would Outpace ever consider doing international races? And I don't mean Canada. <laughs> and this is kind of the ones we touched on earlier, right? Yeah, yeah I'd say. You'd pick Challenge Roth. Roth. Yeah, would be yeah. very cool. Yeah, I'd pick um, probably Ironman Austria. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, and then. What was your proudest and least proud try race moment? Um, I'll let you go. Okay. Um, I mean, I'd have to say my proudest was, there's a lot that were kind of up there, but I think the feeling of crossing the finish line, Ironman, Wisconsin, you know, it's like I, I had grown up hearing about like Ironman and everything and thinking it was so ridiculous. And then I remember the surreal feeling of actually like doing it myself. And there's, you know, hundreds of people standing there and Mike Riley and everything. I just remember it being a, you know, like I, I felt like I was watching it from above, right? It just was this totally surreal experience. So I'd have to say that's probably what it was. And then Elise, uh, you know, I kind of joked around earlier about DNF is forever. I, D- Dork County Fall 50 DNF, I was seeing double and that was a pretty low point. I was definitely probably say that's my least proud uh, sure. moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, and for me, I would say probably um, my proudest and my least proud uh, moment would is the same. Um, and it's because, uh, the, the second time I raced in, in, in Kona, I was on a tri team that, you know, had a, a long story history of just competing really well in Kona and they were always way up in the amateur ranks. And I was on the team that year and, and going into it, you know, I was dealing with some knee and hip issues and ended up getting FAI surgery a month later, but I knew I wasn't in the best shape, you know, and I knew I hadn't trained much just cause I didn't want to make it any worse. Um, but just, just the entire day, like I was so far back and it was, it was honestly embarrassing just to wear, wear the tri suit, you know, people expect, like they expect you to be at a certain level. Um, so it was super embarrassing to, to have to walk the marathon and to be really far on the bike, back on the bike. But, um, even though I wanted to crawl into a hole and, and not, not, not finish, you know, I, I walked the entire thing and finished the race. Um, yeah, so a lot I was, of people would bow out. Yeah, and, and it comes up, you know, I, I later found out that one of the athletes on the team, you know, I saw him running. He was at mile 10 on the run when I was just starting. And come to find out, he dropped out just because he wasn't having a great day. And I was like, dude, I like, yeah. like I just didn't get it. And, and um, you know, so I, that, that made me, you know, proud that I finished. Um, but also, you know, embarrassing as well, just because yeah. it was like I, I felt like I didn't display or, or, you know, you know, it wasn't at the level I should have been. wasn't but, your day. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And then the, yeah, this, this is, this is, was a good one. Um, uh, thanks Edwin. Um, is there a triathlon spouse support group? And this, said, was, this is actually a question from his wife. Yeah. <laughs> so I know you said not that you know of, I mean, honestly, I did Google this and was kind of messing around and there's actually like, <laughs> Quite a few <laughs> blogs and like forums. Some of them were more serious than others. Some of them were kind of joking. Yeah. Um, there was one that was like, 
kind of sad when I read through it. It's called The Chronicles of an Endurance Athlete's Wife. Oh, jeez. And she was talking about, like, putting her life on hold and all this stuff and, like, staying home with her kid and, like, felt lonely during the day and stuff. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, in all seriousness, there was... I mean, you could find anything on the internet. But yeah, there was quite a bit that I could scroll through and find um, for the spouse of endurance athletes. Yeah, so. yeah and it's, it's um, you know, I think I think just knowing what your priorities are and, and you know... Work-life balance. Yeah. Same thing applies to training. And, you know, this is coming back how many different questions, but, you know, when it comes to having a coach, like I think the number one mistake for amateur athletes is doing too much. Quantity. Doing yep. way too much. They think, oh, for an Ironman, I need to be doing 20 hours a week. More is better. More is better. And and with that, there's sacrifices. They usually sacrifice time with family, um, you know, and, and that doesn't have to be the case. Like there is ways to mesh it into your your work and and family life um so i think you know if she's you know if if or he yeah either he or she is 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 a spouse or partner who um who doesn't do and doesn't get it you know you know just you know voicing that to your coach and making sure that um they understand that you have other priorities and you know maybe trying to optimize that time rather than adding more volume and taking away from your your family life yep All right, so as always, we like to end the podcast with a quote. This month's quote is from Winston Churchill. Success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. See you next month. 